I'm Trevor Owen. I'm the pastor of spiritual formation here. Yay! I always forget to say my name and anyway. <laughs> I literally wrote on the top of my notes, I'm Trevor Owen. Uh, <laughs> but the, cool, the, the fun thing about my job as a spiritual formation piece is encouraging you all to to shape and mold your spiritual life and your physical life and yourselves into the image of Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about today and following and believing in him. But I do want to say that's not just a spiritual, ethereal kind of exercise. That's a practical thing too. And so actually that's why I'm really excited about this small group that we're doing, uh, Get Off Your Donkey. It's a, it's a book by Reggie McNeil. It's on the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Where he gets off his donkey and he actually gets dirty helping care for somebody. And, and I think this is gonna be a really cool opportunity for us to come together as a church and sort of build off some of what Reggie talked about when we were here and sort of the heart and the DNA of who we are to learn about how do we get out of where we're already comfortable and just kind of cruising past stuff and whatever our excuses are and actually follow Jesus and live into that. So I definitely encourage you to do that. We're going to start uh, groups and uh, not this week, but the following week. So you got about a week to sign up. Um, we'd love to get you plugged in someplace. So connect booth and whatever. Justin and I already talked about it. Um, so last week was Easter, in case you missed it. You all are the faithful ones, the ones that aren't back. We call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. Um, <laughs> probably not all of you, but, but the, for those of you who are faithful, nice work, good job. Welcome back. Um, if you were here last Sunday... You heard Brian telling at the sort of the end the, where Peter and Jesus are at the, sh the shore. And there's a charcoal fire and Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter, and, and Jesus says, do you love me agape? Do you love me completely, fully with everything you are selflessly? And Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. But he says love as in phileo, as in you're my friend. You're, you're somebody that, I, that I'm attracted to or in, in like a, a brotherly love sense. Like I value you. And Jesus says to him again, well, do you love me unconditionally? And he says, no, Lord, I, I, I love you as a brother. I love you as, as somebody that, that means a lot to me. And so then Jesus says, okay, Peter, do, do you love me like a brother? And Peter breaks down and says, yes, I do. I can only love you like that. And there's this beautiful exchange, which we don't get just reading it in the English, about how there's... Uh, Jesus meets Peter where Peter is at. And I want to pick up on that story. Because what happens at the end of that is amazing to me. So in John 21, 18 to 19, so Jesus, you know, and Peter have this exchange. And then Jesus tells Peter something, uh, well, that hopefully none of us hear. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Oh, cheery. 
And saying this, he told him, follow me. So I think it's fascinating, right? That Jesus just met Peter where he's at. He said, all right, fine. You can't love me unconditionally. You can't, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't love your neighbors yourself. You can't do it without condition. I'll meet you there. Now follow me. And you know what Peter would hear in this? When Jesus said that to him right at the beginning, the very, very start of the story. See, Peter was heard these same words like a lifetime ago at this point. It's been, you know, three years, but it's been three years of standing on a mountaintop and seeing Moses and Elisha and Jesus glowing like, a, I don't know, the sun, the white clothes is light, like, whoa. It's been watching demons scream at him. It's been watching Jesus take somebody who's dead and raise them up to life. It's been watching them try and get killed by mobs of people. Like, this has been lifetimes over the last three years. And when Jesus says, follow me, I think Peter would hear the beginning of this call. Matthew 18, 18 to 20. As he, Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, Jesus is taking this the Peter who can't get to where he think he knows he should be, meets him there and says, "Remember, I called you way back when. I'm doing it again now. Follow me." Remember when I came to you on the shore and went, "Follow me," and you left everything? This call still stands. Now, I don't know about you. But if some dude walked up to you and went, follow me, while you were at your work, sitting at your desk, in your classroom, in the hospital, whatever, wherever it is you do life, hanging out with your kids, and he was like, follow me, you'd be like, peace out, kids. Like, <laughs> Sorry, boss, got to go. Right? I mean, does that not sound crazy? Now, I'm not downplaying the level of commitment and the spontaneity to this, but I want to add a little context to this. Um, if you want to hear an amazing and entertaining little series of sermon shorts on this, look up Rob Bell, Covered in the Dust of Your Rabbi. You can get it on YouTube. He, Rob Bell was a pastor over in Seattle. He, he, get, he gave this sermon, and I heard it years ago, so it's a little dated, but... Uh, but he gave this, this sermon at Willowbrook. It's amazing. And I'm going to borrow some of his information from this because he did far more research than I'll ever do on this little beat. But, uh, so Rob Bell is talking about how the significance of the rabbi calling in Israel. 
And see, what you have to understand is in Israel, being a rabbi was the highest position, honorable job you could get. Every parent longed for their kid to grow up to be a rabbi if it was a boy. <laughs> I mean, it was the cream of the cream of the cream of the de la cream job. Right? I mean, if, if, if a parent could say, my son's a rabbi, everybody went, ooh, your son's amazing. I wish my kid was that good. And there was this sense of this was the epitome of what it meant to follow God. And see, what, what a rabbi would do is when you had a rabbi, they would call kids. They, they would, they would, you know, you start off studying Torah at about six or so. They'd go up to about 12 and just cram their head. I mean, they would memorize the entire, like, first five books of the Bible, sometimes even more, all the way into the Old Testament. And the, and the best of the best would get called by a rabbi. And a rabbi would come to them and test them and challenge them and ask them questions. And if they felt like this kid was, was smart enough and capable enough and good enough, they would say, I want you to come follow me. And that literally meant you would sort of just start following. And the rabbi would call those that he believed could carry on his sort of mindset, his worldview, his understanding of how God worked in the world. And so the rabbi would say, I want you to come follow me. And while you follow me, I'm going to show you how God works in the world. And, I, and I'm going to trust that eventually you're going to carry that on. Right? You're going you're gonna to be part of my, my school of thought. And actually, it's interesting. You can go back now and you can look. There's like major rabbi streams of thought of how God worked through the world. The thing was, if you weren't good enough, if you disappointed the rabbi or you couldn't keep up or you couldn't follow well enough or whatever, he would give you a blessing and send you home. May you go home and do your trade well and may your kids grow up to be rabbis. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't make it. Go do what your family business is. God bless you and hopefully someday your kids are smart enough to make it. So here's the deal. Jesus He's baptized by John the Baptist. And he gets sent into the wilderness and he's tested and, and tried. And he comes out and John the Baptist has now been arrested. And Jesus becomes a rabbi. And it says right at the beginning in Matthew 4, 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus becomes a rabbi, and he starts off, and this is his sort of statement. In fact, interestingly, the, the, the train of thought that a rabbi would hold to was called his yoke. Right? So Jesus says, put, your, put my yoke upon you. We can actually leave that up for just a sec. Sorry to mess you up there, Connie. Put my yoke upon you. This was Jesus' yoke. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I don't, 
you can hear whatever you want in the word repent, but all it means is turn around, choose differently, follow me, because God's kingdom is here and now. So Jesus is rabbi, and this is his yoke. And then, well, let's catch up with that story. So Jesus starts off as a rabbi. He's walking along, and he starts calling disciples, right? And as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They're casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Why are they fishermen? Because they're the B team. They didn't make it. They weren't smart enough, good enough, capable enough, trustworthy enough. They're not rabbis. They're plying their trade. Hopefully praying that their kids become rabbis someday. Just like their father was. 20 years before, 15 years before, 12 years before. It's hard to say how old they were. So they're plying their trade, and this rabbi walks up to them and says, you guys, come follow me. And they're like, whoa, redo, second chance. A rabbi wants me to follow him? Heck yeah, what am I gonna do with these fish? Let's go. And they take off. And Jesus is saying, follow me. And I will make you fish for people. Jesus looked at Peter. Now there are disciples that he calls. He says, I'm going to trust you to carry on my understanding of God. I'm going to bring you into my crew and you're going to follow me and you're going to carry on how I understand God and how God wants to reach the world. This message of repent, the kingdom is here. I want you to follow me. I'm going to trust what I have to you and you're going to carry it on. They're like, okay, let's go. This is amazing. I don't think the dad went home that night and went, who's going to take care of my boats? I think the dad went home that night going, hey, guess what happened to my sons? They got called by a rabbi. And all of his friends didn't go, oh yeah, but what about your boats? They went, oh, wow. You must be so proud. Your kid made it. And so they start following. And here's the thing. Jesus that we know of called at least 12. But there were a lot of others that followed him. I mean, there were... And they followed for a variety of reasons, right? There were women who supported him and encouraged him and, and helped provide for him. There were... 
you know, Pharisees that thought he was, you know, his school of thought, his, his rabbiness was, was off base and they wanted to catch him and debate with him and argue with him. There were centurions that were worried that he was leading some kind of a rebellion and so they were following him. There were all kinds of people that were following him. Even one of the ones that was called Judas was following him. Who, well, ultimately betrayed him. So why, what is the significance of just following? Just in of itself, hey, follow me, doesn't mean much. I mean, James tells us that, uh, that, that the demons know who Jesus was, and they trembled. So there's a following piece, but then there's the second piece, which is a believing piece. Follow me and believe. Now, I want to stop here for just a sec. When I say believe in something, what do you hear? Like if I say, mm, believe that the earth goes around the sun, what does that mean to you? Trust it? Yep. Like intellectually, right? Like I agree with that. I trust that that's what's happening. And maybe you choose not to believe that. I believe that the earth is flat. You intellectually agree with that. Probably shouldn't, but there's those who do. A lot of times when we hear belief, we hear intellectually agree and assent to. Right? Just like if I said, I believe that this rope and what it's attached to up there is strong enough to lift this weight. Yep, intellectually, I believe that. I agree with that. But here's the thing. In the Bible, in, in Greek, the word for belief is not just an intellectual agreement and alignment with. It's the same word for the word trust. It's pistuio. It's belief as in like, I actually believe and trust in this. Right? You don't have to trust that the earth is going around the sun. You just have to intellectually agree with it. But when, when Jesus says, believe in me, He's saying, actually trust this. Which would be more like, now I believe this rope will hold this weight. Right? That's the kind of belief that we're talking about here. You don't just follow, you believe. And that makes all the difference. Because there are people who follow Jesus, and there are people, maybe some of you sitting here today, that believe intellectually in the story of Jesus and the idea of Christianity and faith. But do you trust it? You see, this changes 
the idea of belief versus trust changes how we read some of these verses. Like for example, in John eleven twenty five through 26, Jesus says to her, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think sometimes we say, yeah, I can believe that. Sure, I go to heaven someday, eternal life. But do we trust it? Do we really, really believe it? See, and here's the thing about following and believing in Jesus. It's not enough just to follow him. You also have to believe in him. But it's also not enough just to believe in him. You also have to follow him. And that's the way that circle goes. But here's, here's the rub in all of that. If you're following someone, if you're Peter or Andrew or any of the disciples or you're you, and you're following that requires that you let go of some of your free will. You take your free will and you give it to the person you're following. Right? Now, if you're under 18, 16, 12, 10, 3, 2, you're following whether you want to or not. Right? Parents grab you and just drag you along. Congratulations, this is where we're going. But this kind of following is intentionally choosing to lay our will down. Intentionally saying, I want you to lead me. And I'm going to trust that where you're leading me is good. I'm going to follow and I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. And that's Jesus' message. But here's the thing. It's not only Jesus' message. Think about this for a sec. What are the things in our world that call you to follow and trust in it? What are the things that tell you, I want you to follow me, give up some of your freedom for me, and, and trust in me? And I will protect you, heal you, save you, give you freedom, hope, peace, pleasure, whatever. It's most things. Your job, your money says, follow me. If you put your time and your effort and your work in, I will provide for you, I will save you, I will feed you, I will feed your children, I will take care of you, I will give you purpose and meaning. Follow me, believe in me. Every time you turn on the television, right, you got all the ads, or you know, if you're like me, you don't watch TV and you just get in the browser and the pop-ups. You deserve a new cell phone. You deserve a better car. You'll be safer if you do fill in the blank. Follow me. Trust me. Live for me. 
and I will heal you. I will make you more meaningful. You'll be more relevant. You'll have the Samsung Galaxy 20X filling, I don't know, super transformer car, phone, thing, whatever. And your life will have purpose. Or maybe it's, maybe it's this sense of like, hey, life should be enjoyable and fun and easy. So vacation and spend time recreating and watch endless, I don't even know what the modern show, the current show is, 1883 and Game of Thrones and uh, definitely not Doogie Howser MD. That's way a long time ago. <laughs> but whatever it is, right? Pursue having fun, checking out, taking life easy. And you'll have purpose, you'll have meaning. Follow me. Believe in me. And it can even be this sort of like subtle message that comes across all Christianese and good. It says, believe in yourself. Follow yourself. Kind of like this meme that I came across. Believe in yourself. You're braver than you think, more talented than you know, and capable of more than you imagine. That was on my Facebook feed. Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Or maybe it's just even simpler, kind of like this one. Let's go to the next one. Today me will live in the moment, unless it is unpleasant, in which case me will eat cookie. (laughs) Trust in the goodness of chocolate and carbs and lots of fat, and you will feel good, saved, healed, restored. Or, you know, that's like Daryl might say. Or just get insurance and it'll protect you from all the things getting taken away. <laughs> insurance will save you. There's tons of things that call us to follow. Problem is, they're all fleeting. I mean, what's the anchor? Right? I mean, we go, okay, yeah, you're right. Money can be taken away and things can fall and health can fall apart and cookies eventually get on the waistline and do bad things to us. Like, we get it. So really, we should follow Jesus. Really, we should, we should anchor our lives to something, well, like an altar of God that no matter what weight is suspended from it will protect me, right? And we say, okay, well, yeah, I, I believe I'll, I'll follow God. And I trust him. But then, then we're like, but uh, I don't know. The cookies sound really good. So maybe, maybe I'll follow and believe in God, but a little more like this. I gotta trust God, I'll follow him, but my 401k is really, really nice. 
and I'll follow God, and I'll trust him. But, you know, really committing to this whole religious thing a lot is not nearly as fun as going out camping every weekend. Or I'll follow God, and I'll trust him, but I don't really want to give him my money. He's got enough. I'll follow God, and I'll trust him, but really it comes down to me. And we do a lot of this. The problem is, it's not Jesus' message, is it? Jesus is approached by a rich young ruler who says to him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's asking the intellectual question, how do I live forever? How do I not get into a bad situation? And it's interesting that Jesus asks him a question in Mark 10. And he says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear fault witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Incidentally, these are some of the commandments, and Jesus picks all the ones that are practical. They're not intellectual exercises. Jesus takes it out of the intellectual someday into eternal life and brings it right here into the dusty and the now. And the guy says, well, yeah, I've done all those. And then Jesus says, fine, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the disciples freak out. They're like, what, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, it is so hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God And they're like, well, then who can be saved? Jesus says, ah, with God, with, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And Peter, of course, being Peter, is like, but we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus is like, good for you. Nice job. You're missing the point. The point is, the more you have the harder it is for you to follow. I mean, if you're sitting here, you have not just a helmet on, you probably have shoulder pads and bubble wrap and a car with surrounding airbags inside of a giant bouncy castle around your life, potentially. And yes, I follow God. Bounce, 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 bounce how hard it is for you to get the kingdom. Because we trust. Because we don't need to trust. We don't need to actually follow. Follow. 
Remember I said there was this, probably several things that Peter heard when Jesus said, follow me. I'm going to close with a little piece in the middle of the story. In John 13, 36 through 38, Jesus has just told them that he's going away. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. It's after the Last Supper. And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answers, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Can you hear and hear the end of the story? Denied me three times. I've met you where you're at. Follow me. Remember, Peter, when I said, you can't follow me now, but you'll follow me then. You'll follow me somewhere. And between now and then, you're going to mess this up. You're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. You're going to turn, turn away from me. But you know what's really cool? The next verse. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Look, you're going to have an awful lot of helmet moments. You're going to have an awful lot of not standing underneath the weight moments. Not following, not believing. But trust me. Believe in me. I'll carry you through. I'll meet you where you're at. And at the end of all of that, follow me. So as we close today, and the worship team can come back up, where have you got your helmet on a little too tight? Where have you made belief an intellectual exercise? Where have you said, where have you felt God saying, you know what, come here, follow me, stand up, trust me. And you went, that looks squishy. I don't know. What are the other things that you might be trusting in, believing in, and following that have nothing to do with Jesus? And money, jobs, self-fulfillment, the potential for your kids to become the best they are, and we spend our entire lives running from soccer game to soccer game and don't have any deep relationships or get connected in church and sacrifice everything for it. It's all about fun and pleasure and doing the best I can. One of the things you follow and trust in Where do you need to anchor? Let me pray. Jesus.
I pray that your message would speak to the people here, that they would put your yoke upon them. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. God, lead us. God, let us trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.